turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Here's Pastor Jessica Stan to begin today's broadcast of Way of Grace. The gospel by nature is a conflict message. It is not a message that bodes well on the human mind or the human heart. It's a message that comes to us from God and it initially takes us by surprise and alarms us because of its assessment of where we stand. One of the fundamental errors of mankind is that he thinks he's all right with God. used by the Lord is an exciting prospect, but it's also a huge responsibility and privilege to be God's instrument to minister healing that is so desperately needed, especially on a spiritual level. It can't be overstated in its importance. And here today on Way of Grace, Pastor Jessica Stand will challenge us to make ourselves available to God in this world, and we'll be reminded along the way that the Lord has no hands except ours in this world. Join us. We're in the book of Acts. Let's catch up with Pastor Jesse as he begins today's message here in chapter 3. We actually got to verse 2 last time and we will work from there again. The theme is in verse 13. If you'll notice what it says in verse 13 as Peter is responding to those who saw this most notable miracle Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness, we made this man to walk? Then he explains the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Peter saw and James saw this event that we're going to spend some time deriving the application from as an opportunity by which God would glorify his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he saw. He saw this event where a lame man laying at the temple uh, gate, the gate is called beautiful in verse three, And they become the objects or the means by or the vehicle by which this man now is made to walk. And the people respond adversely to them. And Peter has to quickly set the record straight. That's what verse 13 means when he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus. That's what the book of Acts is about. That's what the New Testament church is about. That's what the role of the people of God are about being an extension of the ministry of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit so that it can be said all over the world. The God of our fathers hath glorified his son through this means, whatever, 
whatever opportunity God opens up for us, whatever uh, door opens for us to share the gospel through whatever means, whether it's a service-oriented mean, whether it's the ministry of the word, whether it's a phenomenal event that occurs by which you and I are left awestruck at the power of God. It becomes merely a vehicle for really evangelism. So if you have your outline, I'm going to briefly go over points one and two and start at points two to to unpack this further. A pattern of old and new things. This is the thing that we talked about last week. What we are doing as we go through the book of Acts is we are watching and observing how that God is doing a new thing in the midst of an old thing. The old thing being the old economy, the old covenant, the people of God, Uh, initially the Jewish people, so we are at Jerusalem, and so it's in the middle of a people group whose legacy and history is rich with the visitations of God. Only now they have to reckon with the visitations of God through a man whom they had recently rejected and killed in a mock trial, and that man is Jesus. So Jesus is showing up in a very notable way in our account And it says in verse 1 and 2, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And we learned that that ninth hour is 3 o'clock in the evening. The Jewish timetable starts at 6 in the morning. Three hours later is 9. Three hours after that is 12. Three hours after that is 3 in the evening. The last set of threes would be 6 o'clock. So at 6 o'clock, we go from day to night. And night starts at 6 in the evening and ends again 6 in the morning. There are four watches in the night, 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3, and then 3 to 6. So this is what is meant by the ninth hour. This would have been the evening prayer in the temple that the people would have been gathering together to call upon God. An old thing, a normal pattern protocol for the people of God in that day. It would be during this normal practice of Jewish tradition, of which, like church can be, mere protocol, no expectation, uh, just going through the rote form of religion, masses of people are headed to the temple. They are engaged in prayer. Some sincere, no doubt. Others, again, just religious. And then others are going to be unexpectedly uh, imposed upon by the presence of God because they are not expecting. This lame man becomes the opportunity by which God would glorify himself. So in our first points in your outline, we saw this in our PowerPoint. If you can pull up the PowerPoint, uh, point number one, new pattern, old pattern, conditions for what? Two things. Do you guys remember? Conditions for what? Conflict first. Condition for conflict. When you take an old thing and you connect it to a new thing or you try to run them together concurrently or simultaneously, you are asking for a conflict, are you not? So that's the first point. If you take an old idea and you uh, run it up against a new idea and those ideas appear initially at least to be adverse towards one another, you are going to have a conflict. So what we understand that the gospel is by nature is a conflict message. You have to know that, that the gospel by nature is a conflict message. It is not a message that bodes well on the human mind or the human heart. It's a message that comes to us from God 
and it initially takes us by surprise and alarms us because of its assessment of where we stand. If we were dealing with uh, evangelism class, I would say one of the fundamental errors in our evangelistic class would know this. One of the fundamental errors of mankind is that he thinks he's all right with God. That's a fundamental error. And the Bible's clear. Every way of man is right in his own eyes. This is one of the assumptions that dominates our present postmodern culture. When you meet people, they're all right. But in reality, the Bible would say we're not all right. So if you're thinking you're all right and then the Bible comes with a message you're not all right, we have introduced at that point a conflict, haven't we? So the nature of the gospel is that it fundamentally opposes the presuppositions of the world. So here's a situation where conflict has entered into the equation and it's getting ready to set a course and precedent among the disciples, among the apostles over against the Jewish leaders. We're going to see that in chapter four, the Jewish leaders are not happy about what's occurring because what's occurring now is the beginning of an earthquake, which will have reverberations throughout the whole of the temple proper. The first thing we said would occur when you take a new pattern and and place it in a old system is that it would produce conflict. The second thing that it produces is what? An opportunity. Right. Now, that is even more evangelical, evangelical in terms of the way you and I should think. First and foremost, we have to get over the fact that the truth that has been um, um, has been uh, deposited into our life is conflict oriented. We have to get over that. I have to hurry up and resolve the fact that the truth that I am learning is going to offend some people. I have to get over that. But I also have to be able to embrace the reality that God uses that initial conflict as an opportunity. So evangelical mindedness says what door will open up as a consequence of this initial conflict. But see, it takes faith to be able to coalesce those two ideas, conflict and opportunity, as a basis for me being able to share the gospel. I have to believe God has my best interest in view when he uh, establishes or produces an occasion by which my witnessing or my testimony is going to cause someone to be offended initially, but is going to subsequent to that open the door for me to share the gospel. I have to trust that God will turn that that tension into a dialogue by which I can advance the truth of Christ. I'm reiterating that for you because this is what's happening with Peter. If Peter was just moved by the uh, the distraction, the awe, the um, the overwhelming uh, uh, amazement of the people, he, he may not have seen what God wanted him to see in terms of, oh, this is an opportunity for uh, his son, Jesus, to be glorified. But Peter would have known this based upon the way the miracle unfolds. And that's what our lesson today will be about. Pattern of old things and new things producing an uh, opportunity out of a conflict as Jesus taught that parable in Mark chapter 2, 22. You don't have to go there. You remember that wine skins and the wine. Point number two, an impotent man meets God at the temple. That's uh, sort of stating the obvious. But as we learned last week, it's really not because simply to go to temple or to go to mosque or to go to church is not the same as meeting God. Simply to go to mass or mosque 
or church or synagogue or wherever you go is not the same as meeting God. Do you believe that? It is not uh, a given that when you go to a certain place that is known for the veneration of deity, that that deity is going to show up. It is more commonly experienced that we come to church and we go through the form of religion and it's very possible that that God doesn't show up at all. Now, those of us who may be uh, much more uh, deeply intrinsically given to the personal dynamic of the spirit of God in our life and the sensitivity to make sure that we are authentic when we gather together in any form of worship or study or or gathering with the people of God. We're going to be sensitive in our heart to want him present and to desire him to manifest his already present existence. In other words, we're not asking the Holy Spirit to come from uh, uh, um, south, uh, the southern part of the state to come up here to the northern, northern part. We're not asking him to leave uh, the east coast and come to the west coast. We're not saying leave the Middle East and come to the Bay Area. We're not waiting on him to show up like that. We know he is omnipresent, right? So in that sense, uh, we don't wait for him as if someone would wait for somebody to move physically. That would make him mutable. But what we do have to do is we do have to be cognizant of a need to acknowledge his presence and so respond accordingly in order to enjoy whatever revelations will take place in the subtle but substantive and concrete dimension of his presence among his people. It is possible for Christ to show up in the person of the Holy Spirit and do a great deal of work in the lives of individuals in a group of people for whom that individual or those individuals are, are, are greatly moved by his presence and his power and other people miss it. It is possible for the spirit of God to be in our midst right now and working mightily in someone's heart whom he has prepared by breaking them down or preparing them by virtue of their troubles or their issues or their excitement or their enthusiasm. He may have blessed them over the course of the week and they are just brimming with the opportunity to simply have the word of God expounded. They're ready for that blessing and God can meet them and not necessarily meet anyone else. So so to that degree, the admonition would come to all of us is that we are to seek the Lord, not assume him, seek him. All right. And so we'll learn a little bit about that, too, again on Sunday. That is the fundamental. It is a a reciprocating principle that God lays down to his people. If you seek me, you will find me. That's a beautiful promise. If you seek me, you will find me. And so uh, here we can say that this lame man, this impotent man that's at the gate meets God. And we can assume, we don't know fully, but we can assume that he meets God because he wants God, because he needs God. Do you see that? He's an impotent man. You know what that means? He's powerless. And he's paralyzed. I mean, he's in a state and condition where other people have to help him. We would say he's an humbled person, humbled past tense, objectively, not necessarily subjectively. All lame people, all paralyzed people are not humble. If you ever worked in the field of hospice, you understand that sinners are sinners to the core and they can be as mean and cantankerous. And the only thing they got is their head on their shoulders. Dr. Farrell Griswold preaching on the depravity of man said this one day, you can take a sinner. 
and throw him overboard into the midst of the sea. And the sharks can eat every limb of his body. And so long as he leaves his head and his heart, that man will be hostily depraved and angry towards God until God changes the heart. The heart has to be changed. You can be as, as impotent as anything. So long as the heart is not changed, you can be proud. But we assume that this man being in this situation, as many were, as we read in the Gospel of John chapter 5, there were many, many, many impotent folks that Jesus healed at the waters of Siloam. And I remember this in my own experience. You may not, but this happens frequently in third world countries where you meet people who don't have the same level of technological advancement or medical care that we have in our country, so that prenatal care really does minimize a whole lot of infirmities and things like that that can take place in our life. It was visible to me when I got off the plane in Africa many years ago that we, I was in the middle of a Bible country. Lame people, lepers, blind, halt, withered, everywhere. You understand? Just walking the streets and things of that nature. So obviously you become uh, keenly aware of what was going on in the days of the Lord Jesus as well as the apostles. So an impotent man meets God at the temple here and that gate that he is at, we talked about last week, is called the gate beautiful. Here is the opportunity that's being laid out before us. And we looked at the significance of the gate briefly. The word gate or the concept gate implies entrance. It implies access And it also implies what? Opportunity. And so when the Bible talks about the door or the gate or the entryway, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And we say that emphatically because he becomes for humanity. Anyone, the door by which we enter into fellowship with God. He is the gate by which the sheep go in and out and find pasture and rest for their souls. We saw also last week that in Psalm 24, you and I are described as gates and everlasting doors as well. Lift up ye gates, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory will come in. The reason why we can take that passage in Psalm 24 and apply it to you and me is because the gates that David was talking about are the gates of the temple. And the body of Christ is the temple of God. So there's a sense in which you and I serve as access and entry and opportunity for sinners who are on the outside of the kingdom to come in by virtue of our being the temple of the living God. So in this context, it would typify that. And the church in that sense is beautiful. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And who will come in? The king of glory. And that's what happened in our text. The king of glory showed up at the gate beautiful. He actually went in with them. That is to be unpacked here a little further. In your outline, there are four, uh, three observations to be made under an impotent man meets God at the temple. He does meet God, but he meets God through a means. His infirmity is the first thing we have written there, don't we, in our PowerPoint? And I have P.S. there. The word P means physical. The word S means spiritual. His infirmity was physical, but it pointed to the spiritual infirmity of all of humanity. We said that earlier. We affirmed it as Romans chapter five, verses six through nine and many other places. While we were without strength, Christ died for us. Every sinner is impotent spiritually by nature. We don't have any ability to come to God by nature. We don't have any ability to move towards God by nature. 
We are powerless. Ostineo. I told you that negating preposition with the root word steroid from which we learn that you produce muscle and strength by which we are able to be mobile and to move forward. Until God infuses us with the power of the gospel, we can't move. We can't even call on God until he infuses us because our spiritual condition is what? We are dead and we are impotent. So that man's limbs were helpless to do anything for him. But then we also noted the virtue of what? Asking. Now, this is why I said earlier, there is a a clear providential lesson to be learned in physical infirmities and troubles that God would bring into our life where they would amount to limitations and frustrations and weaknesses of all kind because they put us in a position of being needy before God. And I think you can be a record to this truth, that until we really see our need of God, we don't really call on him. Is that true? So what God has to do is show us that we are really, truly impotent to accomplish anything on our own. And because he has established a covenant relationship with us through Christ, he is determined to teach us how to depend upon him to get the job done. That means he will teach you, child of God, how to call on him as one of the fundamental basis of your relationship with him. The child of God will learn how to call on God. He or she will learn how to cry out to God, to seek God, to beseech God, to pray to God. That is a fundamental before God will ever use you, teach you that you need God. And so the impotent man is put in a really blessed place here because he's forced to ask, right? What does he do every day? He begs for money. We talked about the implications of that inferences on a cultural level that if Israel had been really operating out of a biblical paradigm and a biblical model, that lay man wouldn't have been there. But because Israel was not really in control, remember the Roman Empire was governing them. And so a lot of the Old Testament principles that would have kept them in a place of independence and autonomy where that there would have been enough wealth on the part of the Israelites to help take care of poor persons like this so that they wouldn't live in a scandalous kind of way, calling themselves the people of God and get on the street begging for money. Um, The economy of Israel would have taken care of that. But this becomes an implication that the strongholds of the enemy are still present with us when we are in these adverse situations where we have to call on God. But then again, God works through this evil to do good. So so what we will acknowledge is, is that often we don't walk in the principles of scripture to the extent that God would, as it were, liberate us from what otherwise would be unnecessary fetters if we were walking in biblical principles and had our priorities straight and God could trust us. He wouldn't have to restrain us with certain fetters. Because he could trust us and he would liberate us from that. So we wouldn't have to play part of that kind of that kind of model of relationship with God. But sometimes he has to do that because we are not uh, we're not faithful enough to be able to operate in other models. Am I making some sense? In any event, what God is not going to do is waste his relationship with you by your or my indolence. He will deal with us at every level. 
He will deal with us in our impotency. He will deal with us in our slothfulness. He will deal with us in our unbelief. He will deal with us in our doubt. He will deal with us in all of the varying carnal principles that are latent within our fallen nature that have a tendency to want to doubt and question whether or not God can bring us through. God will use that. He'll use it all to conform you to the image of Christ. He'll bring you to a point of asking. And we learned in Luke 11, verses 9 through 13, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open. If you ask, it will be given to you. That is a true. However, the verb form is in the imperfect continuousness. And what God will have you to do is frequently ask, frequently seek, and frequently knock. He doesn't always open the door the first time you knock. Well, you have been listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. If you have questions or comments about the program, maybe you would like to learn more about us here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Reach out to us by simply calling 510-886-9782, or you can visit our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Sunday services here at the church are 10.30 in the morning. Friday evening is our Friday evening Bible study at 6.30. And man, we've got friends of the ministry from all over the Bay Area who join us for this Friday night Bible study. It is an amazing time of God's Word and sweet fellowship in Christ. 6.30 in the evening Tuesdays, our prayer time and a short Bible study as well. These meetings, again, the directions and information of which you can find at our website, grace-bible.com, or by calling 510-886-9782. This program continues to air here on this radio station and on the World Wide Web because you partner with us financially and prayerfully. Thank you for your support. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. And you can either give on a monthly basis or it's a one-time gift. It is all tax deductible. And again, the biggest part of your partnership with us is that we get to continue ministering the gospel of grace here in the Bay Area and all over the world. Consider that as you contact us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan.